morning shows that uh, most of you are hopefully are, are used to, but we decided to do some uh, PM shows to um, capture some of the people that might not we might not capture in the morning, and it's probably to be more of a relaxed or more of a one-on-one -on -one conversation with some very intriguing people uh, from the city of Portsmouth and, and from around that uh, we've been wanting to get on for a while and. and so here we are. Here we are, and and we hope that uh, you enjoy the program this evening. But before we get started, uh, first of all, I'd like to welcome the Slim Talk podcast listeners. I, we're also doing a podcast on Slim Talk as we uh, do this show tonight. So we want to welcome those listeners as well. But before we get started, uh, the Colonel Thomas Chapman has a few words. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say uh, thanks for everybody for uh, showing up, especially you, Mr. Horst, uh, Mr. Savage. And so the, and I'd like to say the views stated on this program are those of the host and those of our guests, and that is all. Not affiliated with anybody else. And then the other thing, I'm going to put another disclosure up. If for those out there in uh, Electron Land, if you like what you're seeing and you want us to continue on and we need your help, you can send an honorarium to Portsmouth Coffee Talk, P.O. Box 7664, Portsmouth, Virginia, 23707. And now we can continue. Yes, and you also can support us on our Cash App and. Uh and Azale, and uh, I'll put those on our, our Facebook page. And I forgot to introduce who we are. For those who don't know, I'm James Slimoverton and co-host Leah Drake-Stith and Thomas the Colonel Chapman. Leah? Good evening. Good, good evening. Right. How you doing? Wonderful. It's, a, it's, it's, it's wonderful to be on in the evening and not 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's yes. indeed. No yawning this morning, huh? Exactly, exactly. Okay, well, I am extremely happy, pleased, feeling blessed with the guests that we have for this evening. And none other than Mr. Horace Savage, Jr. Uh, Mr. Savage has been making a difference uh, in the city of Portsmouth and around the state of Virginia for many, many years. And I feel blessed to have known him since I was a little child. He's a man who has worked quietly but steadily to advance human understanding in Portsmouth. He has held so many positions in Portsmouth and I might get them wrong if I try to list them in order, uh, but he has been a, a student at IC Norcom High School. He was a student at Hampton University where he received his undergraduate and his master's uh, degree. He came, he went into the army. He came back to Portsmouth after the army and came back to Norcom High School where he became an educator at Portsmouth. He is, um, oh my God, he has done so much. He, he was an educator at Norcom, a teacher at Norcom. He went on to become an assistant principal, I think at Harry Hunt, another assistant principal, and then at, um, was it Woodrow S Wilson? S.H. Clark. Woodrow Wilson. He went on to become an assistant superintendent for the city of Portsmouth. He became the clerk to the court, the clerk to the, um, the school board in the city of Portsmouth. 
oh, I, I mean, I, it just goes on and on and on and on. He had a winning, a championship track team, a championship football team, and he's an actor extraordinaire. He appeared in many plays on the Norcom stage. Jane Eyre is one that comes to mind. <laughs> and I read somewhere where he spoke at a, an event in Portsmouth over the community concert group, I think it was, and how one of the white gentlemen went out and said, he's a very eloquent speaker. And he's an eloquent speaker at all times. I don't care when you're talking with him, if it's casual or on a professional level, you get Horace Savage. Mr. Savage, I am so blessed to be able to introduce you today to those who may not know you, and I feel blessed to reacquaint you to those who do know you. Mr. Savage, welcome to Portsmouth Coffee Talk. Thank you very much, and you have been very kind. <laughs> <laughs> and you deserve every bit of it, believe me. Mr. Thank Savage, you so much. I think we'd like to start with you telling us about your time at Norcom High School. You knew that you, the guys knew that's where I was going, so uh, I have don't I don't need to make any disclaimers. I want to know what was it like for you as a student at IC Norcom High School? Uh, let's see. Uh, my memories of Norcom High School go back to the early 1930s. Uh, that was when I was introduced to uh, experiences at Norcom because I had a cousin who lived in New Jersey but who liked the Portsmouth atmosphere and uh, decided that she would like to spend some time in this area. And so she moved down here to live with her grandmother, which was also my grandmother. And uh, she lived here in Portsmouth and attended Norcom High School during her junior and senior high school years. She was from Cape May, New Jersey. But uh, her interest in other parts of the country uh, uh, flowed to, to Portsmouth. And uh, she wanted the experience of living in a southern atmosphere. So uh, she used to carry me to Norcom High School with her on what was then um, what did we call it? Uh, not Labor Day, but May Day. May Day. Yeah. Uh, when the school had its May Day exercises, and she, uh, for a couple of years, carried me to Norcom High School down on Chestnut Street then um, with her. So it was really a fascinating experience for me at that time and uh, from there uh, I came to the point where I had my own experience at Norcom beginning in 1938. Uh, 1938 was a signal year 
for Norcom because that was when the newest Norcom High School was built on Chestnut Street at the corner of South Street, right next to the original Norcom building. Uh, so my class was the first freshman class to go into that new high school in 1938. Um, I had uh, certainly a grand experience at Norcom High School. Uh, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, the social life, uh, the general atmosphere. Uh, I always thought that the uh, uh, general intellectual context of Norcom High School was really something to be admired. Uh, everything was so in place, uh, so up to date, and done so well, I, I was really impressed as a student. And of course, uh, all of the teachers uh, were really uh, high in my estimation. Uh, I enjoyed them all, and they all made a, a great impact on every student just as they did me so i had uh, four wonderful years at Norcom high school and i graduated in the midterm class of 1942. Yep. someone just asked mrs savage who was the principal then uh the principal at the school when, uh, oh, during the years that I used to visit there, and at that time was Mr. William B. Reddick. Mm -hmm. And uh, the assistant principal was Mr. William E. Waters. Right. And uh, uh, there were two assistant principals there, then Mr. Waters and Mrs. Weaver. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, uh, we had a, a triumvirate there that uh, really kept things uh, moving in the right direction. Was uh, your mother teaching there when you were there? How many teachers? Was your mother? Was your mother teaching at Norcom when you were uh, there? No, she was not teaching there uh, when I was in school. She taught at Norcom in the 20s and into the early 30s. Okay. Uh, 19, I think 1933 was her last year teaching at Norfolk. But uh, so Norcom, uh, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed uh, being in school at Norfolk. Yeah, Coach, I, I, I wanted to, I heard you tell a story once about, since you mentioned about Norcom and you graduated from Norcom, <clears throat> and you can add to it or correct me, uh, I want you to uh, let, you know, t tell the other people about this story, but this is a story when you uh, 
at Narkom, I, I think during the summers, uh, you would work at the shipyard, uh, or maybe after Narkom, you work at the shipyard, and you were satisfied. I guess that was a good job as far as you're concerned. You were satisfied to, to stay there and let that be your career. But having an educator as a mother, and as most black families back then, their, their goal for their children was to attend college. And it took something, and it was an amazing story how she got you to sort of change your mind. Uh, share that with uh, our audience tonight. Well, you, you're very kind to uh, uh, even suggest that I really had something to say about the situation, which I really didn't. <laughs> And I'll tell you why. Uh, my mother was a graduate of Hampton Institute. Uh, and of course, uh, during my high school years, uh, me and my sisters, uh, we never knew anything other than we would finish high school and go to Hampton. Uh, that was, Hampton was a fixture in my family on both sides. Uh, so, uh, when I graduated uh, uh, from high school, uh, my mother had made arrangements uh, for me to enter uh, Hampton Institute. Um, but when I, uh, in January, when after our graduation exercises, uh, the news came out uh, that the labor board at the Navy Yard was hiring. <laughs> they were hiring and had dropped the age limit to 18 years. And among guys my age, you know, the word was, and you don't have to put your age up. <laughs> That was, man, they're hiring at the labor board. You don't have to put your age on. Mm -hmm. That was all I wanted to hear. So I went straight to the labor board and got myself hired as a classified laborer in the Navy Yard. Well, that was uh, right after graduation, uh, uh, early in February. Well, my mother, of course, was uh, upset with me about that, but she never gave up the notion that I would be uh, going to Hampton. Um, she had made all of the arrangements, but I told her, no, I'm not going to Hampton. <laughs> I'm going to stay in the Navy Yard and uh, keep my job. Um, and I did. I did that. She had everything ready for me to go to Hampton. And the morning that I was supposed to leave, go to Hampton, uh, she asked me, are you going to Hampton today? And I said, no, ma'am. I'm going to work. 
And I got on my bicycle and rode to the Navy Yard and went to work. Well, she was terribly upset. Um, but the only thing I was interested in was keeping that job. And I really felt I had misgivings of a serious nature about disappointing her, but I thought I uh, needed to uh, be the man of the house, so to speak. Uh, unfortunately, my parents were divorced, and I thought it was my responsibility to become the man of the house, and the opportunity was there. Well. Uh, Hamden at that time was on what they called an accelerated schedule and they had streamlined the semester sessions to include what they called an intercession and that intercession was tacked on to uh, the end of the spring semester. Um, so you had a portion of, of that semester that ran from January, February, February, and March. And then in April, there was this intercession. Well, uh, it was thought that I would uh, enter in the spring intercession. Well, as I said, the day I was supposed to go to Hampton, my mother asked me, are you going? No, ma'am, I'm going to Hampton. I'm going to work. Got on my bicycle, went to the Navy Yard. And when I got ready to check in, the leading man came to me and said, oh, savage. Don't you bother about checking in this morning. The shop master wants to see you. So you report to the shop master's office. So I began to wonder what in the world I had done. Because when you had to go to the shop master's office, you had done something generally uh, that required something of a disciplinary nature. So I went to the shop master's office. Uh, Mr. Watson, I'm Horace Savage. I was told to report to you. Oh, yes, yeah, Savage. Come on in. <laughs> and uh, he said, I, I'm happy for you. Uh, he said, uh, I've got all your papers here, your discharge from the yard, uh, uh, your, your check for the pay that you are due. Uh, and I want you to know that this action is without prejudice, which means that you will be able to come back uh, when it's convenient for you to do so. He said, my congratulations you for being placed on education leave. 
And I said, Mr. Watson, I didn't apply for any education leave. Mr. Watson said, I know you didn't. You did. <laughs> he went to the Admiral. Well, the Admiral at that time was Admiral Gygax. Uh, Slim, you may remember that name, or may have heard of that name at some time in Portsmouth uh, history. But uh, uh, he said, uh, your mother went to Admiral Gygax and uh, uh, arranged this. And he gave me all of these papers and my chindek wished me well, hunted me out of the door. I went home, and when I got home, I said, Mama, how could you do this to me? Uh, I really wanted to stay in the Navy Yard for the benefit of the entire family. And she told me, I'm not ready for you to become the men of the house yet. Okay. So um, she called a taxi, put my uh, taxi came, put my steamer trunk in the trunk of the taxi. We went to the Greyhound bus station <laughs> and uh, we took the bus over to Hampton Institute. Hmm. And when I uh, got off the streetcar uh, at the campus entrance, uh, one of the first persons that I saw uh, welcoming freshmen to the campus and really uh, doing some pretty good hazing at that time, <laughs> one of the first persons I saw was Hudgens Keeley. Uh, does that name ring a bell with anybody? You, anyway, he, he was uh, a Portsmouth boy who had uh, graduated from Norcom at the same time I did, and he was already there. And uh, he was there heckling me uh, on my entrance into Hampton. So anyway, I did not want to be at Hampton, but I had no choice. And uh, it took me a little while to become, uh, you know, to feel uh, that I hadn't been done in. I can't. <laughs> and uh, so I, I began to make a, a proper adjustment. But uh, that was a difficult time for me. But uh, the upshot is that that summer, when that intercession ended, I went back to the Navy Yard and worked that summer. And uh, then I went back to Hampton uh, that September. So I guess you could say that that may have been one of the first examples of uh, affirmative action. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Colonel? The Admiral 
the Admiral responded uh, in a way that, you know, put me in, in school. Uh, as a result of the power of his office. So I, I felt uh, like something big had happened to me. Uh, <laughs> I began to feel that way later, but I surely didn't feel that way when it first happened. Well, I'll tell you what, we have been truly blessed that your mother impressed upon you to go to Hampton University. Because of you, well, you know, the people, I didn't think my mother knew how to get in the shipyard, let alone get to the admiral. Get to the admiral. <laughs> and during the time that she was asked to be going to Hampton, she never let on that she was doing anything to force the issue. And I thought I was sailing through without any particular problem. But her advisor was the Reverend Harvey N. Johnson Jr. Oh, yes. He was her pastor <laughs> at that time at Ebenezer. Yes. Oh, you you had no chance. And, uh, <laughs> you, 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 lost, you, you had lost all the way. <laughs> and Deacon Jeremiah Green who was a Navy veteran and who worked had worked in the uh, shipyard and was familiar with personnel procedures there. And uh, so Deacon Green and Reverend Harvey and Johnson were the ones who steered my mother to Admiral Gygax. So I, I always had a high appreciation for Reverend Johnson. Uh, I still have the Bible that he gave me. Oh, he was quite a man. Quite a man. Yeah. No, uh, he could read. Uh -huh. They were always big men. Right, right. You know, Mr. Savage, you know, that reminds me of a, uh, a song, and it's, uh, I think the title is Patches. And yes. it talks about uh, uh, mama's uh, or daddy's old, uh, I'm a paraphrase it. It says mama's, I mean, daddy's golden rule is to, is to stay in school. But I'm saying your mama's golden rule was you to stay in school. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'll, I'll paraphrase that. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yes, you, you didn't want to violate her golden rule. But as we were talking earlier, I guess I've uh, been living across the street from you for 50 plus years now, and it's been great. And uh, and as uh, Leah was talking about your your uh, resume about the army going to HU or HI at the time, and I've sort of followed that uh, trip myself, going in the army, coming out, going back to school. So we have had the uh, almost the same you know parallel journey, hits and misses uh, across our own history. And uh, I would tell you. Uh, I've been proud that I can say that you, know, you have always been, and you and your wife uh, have been pillars of our, of our community out there in Cedar Grove, and there'll be a never, another Cedar Grove ever out there that I can name up in this country. And uh, I'm going to call out your daughter, Alexis, 
I know she's listening back there. She needs, since she's retired, she can start writing a book about Cedar Grove. So you can get a two thumbs up from me from that. So Lex has got a job now. <laughs> but, so uh, what, what advice would you have for the young folks coming up now? Well, I think uh, it would be the same as in kind of advice that I got. Uh, it's an ongoing story. Um, it's a consummation, dearly to be wished. And uh, the only way to do it is to set your ideals as high as you can envision them. That was one thing I admired about you, Colonel. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I never hesitated to tell you that. Mm -hmm. I always told you how much I admired your inspiration to pursue uh, the educational process and especially in the field that you chose. I thought it was an absolute wonder and I always admired the tenacity with which you uh, pursued uh, your goal and you did it so beautifully well uh, that I, I would offer you as an example uh, to anybody who wants to be somebody. Thank you, thank you. Uh, congratulations to you for being. Coach, I certainly it's worthwhile to uh, remember that uh, we as individuals, and I guess one of the things that uh, I always, uh, my family was not uh, overly religious, but certainly uh, religious to the extent that it was well known in our household that there were expectations that were expected to be met and those expectations were based on the fact that we are divine in nature and that we owe a certain dedication to the source that divine nature and that we have a responsibility to honor that divine nature in the best way that we can and uh, that of course means that you you have to live a certain way. Mm -hmm. There was never any doubt in my 
household that we would be expected to uh, pursue a certain line of behavior, a certain line of aspiration, uh, and a certain determination uh, to <coughs> pursue all of those other lines in a way that would produce the best results that we could attain. So I remember uh, I got off track once in a while. I remember uh, in the fourth grade, I got an F in conduct, my report card. And what did I do that for? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, my father at that time had a, a razor strap with a little slits cut in the end of it. Oh, yes. <laughs> and he, he knew how to use it very well. Uh, and he used to say to me, This hurts me worse than it does you. Yeah, they oh, all, Lord, yes. They all did. Oh, my goodness. He has lost it. <laughs> He knows not whereof he speaks. <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, I think that uh, whatever form the encouragement takes is certainly vital to the process. And there, there has to be uh, an innate desire to... Uh, do things uh, and realizing at the same time that everybody's not cast in the same mold mm -hmm. uh, and that everybody has to make some kind of a choice and that choice uh, should be made within a certain framework and every effort should be uh, expended to try to fulfill uh, that particular goal. So uh, I think uh, that is that doesn't change. That doesn't change. The human mold doesn't change. And Coach, I want to. Um... A, a lot of people now know you as an excellent speaker and a great wordsmith. And not too many people know, well, a lot of people do, but not people know today uh, of your coaching. I, I want to tell you about my uh, experience with you and coaching. Of course, I didn't play football. I wore the I.C. Norcom uniform, Leah, <laughs> a basketball uniform, but I, I didn't play football. But I, I remember before I got to Norcom, coming to a game, football game, and, and watching you out there on the sidelines. And I know most of your players would say you were tough, and but you were teaching them how to be men, like most of the Narcom teachers were preparing us for the world that we were about to face. But talking about, I guess, if you were tough on them, you had to prove you were tough, because I remember most times if a play came your way and you were on the sidelines, you would get out of the way. But this particular game, I was there. A play came your way, 
and you stood right there. And next thing I know, they were carting you off the field. <laughs> but uh, I guess you would say you didn't get out of the way fast enough, but I would say that you just stood there and took it like like uh, you were trying That's to right, prove right? to your parents, I mean, to your players. But uh, I said that to say, you know, uh, it, it was a lot more than coaching football, those young men, you know, and then you had them also in the classroom than just teaching them how to play football, preparing them. A lot of times it got them scholarships to go to school, but you actually were really preparing them for the life that they were going to face outside of school, especially during those times. Yeah. Um, one, one of the great, um, one of the great things about uh, sportsmanship, sports, and I think especially football, because of the nature of football, it is a violent, rough mm -hmm. sport. Uh, it has its liability from a standpoint of maintaining and preserving physical um, well-being uh, but yet uh, it has an attraction and uh, a siren call that makes people willing to take all of the risks that go along with all of those things. And that is one of the great teaching elements of football in particular and athletics in general. Uh, the other sports that may not require the same kind of, of uh, shall we say, uh, abandon. <laughs> that football does, uh, but there is still an element of commitment, devotion to what you're doing, um, the desire to excel, of course. And one of the great lessons that uh, any coach will, any football coach will say, uh, is that the lessons learned in football are transferable to life and they really correspond and reflect uh, the same kinds of lessons that are required to succeed in life. There has to be determination. There has to be commitment. Uh, uh, there has to be belief, the faith that you can. I won't forget one of the great football teams that Norcom had in its history was the 1968 football team. Mm -hmm that it was my privilege to coach. And uh, 
Latif uh, won nine games that year, and we lost one game to Phoenix High School in Hampton. And uh, it's we we missed winning the state championship uh, because of that one loss, but we were runner-up for the state championship that year. <laughs> but uh, to show you how how things can work when you or how they don't work when you kind of get off of your uh, planned schedule. Um, we were an excellent team. But those guys, when we were, uh, when we would load on the bus to go to the stadium, they would begin singing, only believe, only believe. And they would rock that bus, singing Only Believe, into the stadium and get off and warm up, only believing. And they played that way. Um, but you know, the game that we lost, and this is a lesson too, and I think all of us, myself and every one of those members of, of that particular team to this day will admit that I, the thing that happened to us that caused us to lose that game was that we were, we thought we were so good. We called our offensive team the machine. Our defensive team was the spoilers. And we were so confident that we thought we could score any time we wanted to. <laughs> and Phoenix, of course, was doing everything they could to make sure that didn't happen. And I think uh, we just relaxed a little bit. And even late in the game, uh, the attitude was, well, guys, when the huddle said, well, that's all right, man, we can score, we can score, and guess what? <laughs> they didn't score, they couldn't score. <laughs> and I, I think uh, I, I always look at that as uh, an indication that you've got to keep your foot on the pedal. Yes. yes. I think we took our foot off the pedal a little bit that night because we were so... Uh, but that that inspiration of only believe was their ticket to winning nine football games and losing only one. Yeah. So, <clears throat> on an overall basis, uh, yes, in life we have to learn how to be uh, uh, how to bounce back. We have to learn how to uh, change our methods, the way we do things when we need to, uh, just as we do uh, on the 
football field or even in a race if you're on the track team. Uh, so I, I applaud all of the young men who, uh, the individuals who participate in athletics. Uh, and I think they, uh, uh, they really reap the benefits of the lessons that you have to learn to participate in athletics well. And you need to, you have to transfer those same lessons to life. Stick to it, uh, stick, stick to it, that's all of that. Is just as valuable in life as it is on the football field. And I never call the players anything but men. That's right. Good morning, men. Mm -hmm. All right, men. I never call them players or kids or uh, any of the you know, the uh, standard uh, descriptions of young people, they, they were always to me men. Mm -hmm. And I think they appreciated that. I know they did. And that, you should, that should be passed on to many coaches of today who sometimes talk to the young men on the wrong side of their mouths, saying yes. things that maybe they should not say thinking that is a method of encouragement when it's not a method of encouragement. So I, I, I applaud you and appreciate the fact that you did identify them as men. And I wish it would happen today. Yeah, well, I, uh, my language was always... I know. Language. <laughs> always. <laughs> Someone is just asking here, Coach, they want to know, did you coach with Bob Smith? With Bob Smith, yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you know, Bob and I started uh, teaching at Norcom the same year, mm -hmm. 1950. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had uh, just, well, I had gotten out of the Army uh, and gone back. Uh, but Bob was working at. Um, uh, in Williamsburg uh, at the time, the Williamsburg school system. And we came to Portsmouth uh, the same year. And this person also, Coach, wants to know if you could share the names of some of your players on your football team. Oh, yeah. Um, the golden boy, in my estimation, was George Moody. That's right. That's yeah. right. My coach. Was. I called him nothing but golden boy. Yes. Uh -huh. he, he, uh, he could do all things well. All things. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, Leslie Harding. Yes. Mm. Love it. Mm -hmm. Quarterback. He was the quarterback mm -hmm. of uh, the 1960 team that did win the state championship. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
And uh, I, the thing that has been most uh, complete for me is that there are so many uh, of the young men that uh, I had in, in school, we're still together. Yes. Uh, I see Leslie in church every Sunday, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and uh, many of the others that I see from time to time. Uh, Martin Bullock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, we we decide uh, whether or not uh, the president should send airplanes to Ukraine or not. We're working on that. <laughs> and I know Martin has the advice for you as well, <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, and there, there are many others that uh, I still have a close relationship with. And, uh, I am so very grateful to them. Uh, uh, I tell them that they made me famous when uh, we won the state championship in 1960. Nobody enjoyed holding up and looking at the big headline in the newspaper than I did. Savage defense <laughs> and state championship <laughs> uh, so I tell them you guys may be famous <laughs> and you know it is interesting coach all I, with your coaching and your teaching you you were you were a teacher of, of the sciences um, but not only that you've played an instrument as well now, did you play this instrument in the band, or did you just learn it on your own? You no, know, uh, I took uh, piano lessons when I was growing up. Your mother was a pianist, right? Uh, yes, mm -hmm. she was an excellent musician. Uh, so I took piano lessons, uh, and that is where I think I fell victim to uh, peer influence. Mm. Um, when the when time came for my piano lessons and my teacher would come to the house, you know, and I would be up on trucks and school ground uh, playing hot ball or baseball, whatever was in season, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I got to the point where when my younger sister would come up to the playground calling me to come to my lesson, um, I would run and hide. I got to be just downright um, obstinate to my mother about whether or not I needed to continue to take piano 
lessons that um, so I persisted in that behavior of missing my piano lessons to the point that she eventually decided well if you're not going to take these lessons and be interested enough to continue with it I'm not going to continue to pay the teacher to come here and you not show up so um, that ended my instrumental <laughs> music <laughs> I, I could uh, I, I could play a little but uh, that's all water under the bridge <laughs> I don't have that talent anymore. Well, you sing. You sing in St. James Choir. I've heard you there. <laughs> oh, well, you know, there was a time when I I, I thought I could sing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can testify that you can sing. At Hampton, uh, we had a, there was a, a four of us, a quartet of us, uh, who, who thought we could sing? You know, they, these were guys who were in the men's chorus and the choir and all that. And we had a little pop group that uh, we were quite proud of. We, we thought we were. And we used to do a lot of the doo-wop music, you know. And uh, but we sang well enough to win the. Uh, Delta Jabberwock competition. Okay. Uh, so uh, we we thought we were we were reasonably good singers. <laughs> you, know, you, you know what? I I have this vision now. You being uh, Harold Melman in the Blue Notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Uh, my uh, my favorite song was the Orioles. You know, remember the Orioles? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah the, the Orioles <laughs> sing. Mm -hmm. It's too soon to know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that was my favorite song. I I was courting my wife at the time. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Does she love me? It's too soon to know. Can I believe her? Oh man, I, 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 I thought, but, and we sounded good though. We really sounded good. It worked, didn't it? <laughs> you fell for it. So yeah, you had, you had yeah. something going on. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. But you know what? You've, uh, as I, as I continue to listen to you, uh, some of the things that you talked about, you know, when I um, talked about the teamwork and how it went with football, and I'm also tying some of that back from your military days. And we, in the militaries, we, you know, we talk about teamwork, and and nobody is set out there by themselves. And you know, we're great. We have more strength in numbers. And in life, we always have setbacks. But we change, as you say, change your tactics, get off the floor and keep going. 
And I see that in your life and what you're talking and what you've done with the kids. You know, you may have lost the uh, state championship, but you continued on. Exactly. And the thing is, you're instilling in those young men and with the idea of saying, I'm not gonna call you boy or son or whatever. You're a young man. So when you go out in society and you represent your family, Norcom and whatever, you're a young man in society and you need to act that way. And so uh, that's a that's a uh, that's a life lesson that our kids nowadays need to know, especially a lot of young men that are out here that don't have the direction that they should or should have gotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you you're absolutely right, uh, and you know there's no uh, no better example of uh, the fulfillment of ambition that I see in this area than yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, uh, I would certainly hold you up to uh, anybody. Uh, for that accomplishment. Uh, so that's uh, that's a, a song that we have to keep singing. Mm-hmm. We, we can't let that die. Uh, let us march on. Right. Still victory. Still victory <laughs> is one, and Amen. victory is one. That's right. We begin to feel within ourselves that we are making some kind of advancement. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, well, Coach Savage, uh, we are we are coming close to an hour now, and we try to keep it that way. But uh, just wanted to bring up one more thing, and we talked about it when we talked the other day about how it was back in the day with uh, many people in the neighborhoods, the professionals, the teachers, how they used to get together and and have a social life. A lot of it might have been sparked by the Jim Crow era, but uh, I think a lot of it was still genuine as far as the friendships that were uh, had by many people of of different communities. And I used to admire, I used to sit back and watch all the different people come together to uh, even during a time when, when things weren't quite equal for everybody, but when you all came together, it was all equal. It was something that we might be missing a little bit of that today uh, as far as backing each other. And we talked about it might have been some disagreements, but when it all came down to it, when we had to come together for a common goal, it, that was no problem. We don't see that. And uh, talk, talk about, I mean... Your, your experience with that, different communities, different professions, and, and people getting together, uh, sometimes just to have a good time to relieve the stress of just just uh, the times. Yeah, well, um, I think that we 